Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Bayou Chronicles. We're your hosts. I'm Bethany. And I'm Crystal. I hope that you had a great New Year's and stayed safe out there, whether you were by yourself. Let's normalize being by yourself because not all the time do you have to go out and be with people, and that's okay. Um, Or if you went out and partied and, you know, live, laugh, love, you know, what everybody else (laughs) says, um, that's okay too. We just hope that you are going into 2022 in the right mindset being a better version of yourself and really just loving yourself this year. And I think that's both what me and Crystal want and want to continue to do because even though we've had a rough couple of years, I really like the people that, you know, I think I'm speaking for myself, but I'm also speaking for Crystal because I really watched her change and it's been amazing. Um, She just smiles so much more now and she posted a really cute, you guys have to follow, are you not following us on Instagram on our personal accounts? Because you really should. We're pretty cool. Um, But Crystal posted this cute little outfit she wore um, and she was just feeling really cute and feeling herself and I loved it and I hope she really was. She continues to carry that in 2022 and I know that's one of my thing, my personal thing um, for the new year for 2022 is just to be um, healthier in general, not really like a weight loss thing. I just have a lot of personal health issues and I just want to be healthier. And that's just one thing I'm helping. What's your goal? On. It's my goal. Yeah. I'm like Crystal. I don't like resolutions. Resolutions are so, let's just be honest, y'all. How many times have we been like, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year. I'm going to go to the gym every day. And then you gain 30 pounds. Yeah. And you haven't been to the gym in like six months and you've had nothing but soda every day. Yeah. Okay. So I do like Crystal. I manifest. I have a manifestation journal that Crystal knows about. I talk Mm -hmm. about it. I put stuff for myself. I put stuff for the podcast. So I hope that maybe you guys can work towards that this year. And if you want to email us write into us on instagram or whatever and tell us your goals or whatever we'd love to hear it tell me your goals um because we have them and we can crush them and it doesn't matter how long it takes you you don't even have to accomplish it in 2022 but just making the goal writing it on paper speaking into existence is enough so it takes all it yeah. takes. What about you, Crystal? What do you want? This my year? goals. My goal is. I hate to say that my goal is weight related because it's really not. I just am really happy with who I am right now, and I want to maintain that. And I want to learn how to have a healthier relationship with food. Exactly. That's what I was talking about. Um, like I have turned into. I guess the best way I could describe it is like an intuitive eater because for so long and I've noticed it with not only myself but people around me that a lot of people do is they're like oh I'm gonna only eat x y and z and then you restrict yourself so much that you end up binging yeah and that's very much what I do and after a lot of conversations I kind of discovered the fact that you should not do that Instead, you should just never limit yourself to what you cannot have. Just say, okay, this is all I need. Like, what does my body need right now? Your mind wants what you can't yeah. have. So if you tell your mind you can't have it, you're going to yeah. want it even more. Yeah. And so, of course, that turns into, okay, well, maybe I have a cookie with breakfast, but 
and then I'm you really eat the whole pack of Oreos because yeah, yeah. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, because you're just like, okay, I'm only going to have one because I can I can only have one because I can't eat more and I can't have these Oreos. Yeah. And they can't eat the whole Oreos. Well, instead of that, just saying, look, it's okay if I have one Oreo because yeah. it's okay if one, I have it. You could have one Oreo on Sundays when you listen to our podcast exactly. and, and treat yourself. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a big goal. Just to have a healthy relationship with food, but also I think my other main goal is to just keep running headfirst into finding out who I actually truly am. Exactly. And being happy with myself. Exactly. The picture that Bethany was talking about, we have to give all the shout out in the world to Stephanie because mm-hmm. we were shopping at Old Navy, mm-hmm. not Old Navy, Target, and it was the last one on the rack. And she's like, that's really cute. You need it. Go try it on. And I tried it on. And she's like, it's so cute. You have to have yeah. it. And I was like, I don't think it's me. And she's like, no, it's you. You have it's to buy you. it. The whole thing, so, the hat, the the dogs. Oh, my God. It was just like chef's kiss. Yes. So yeah. I love it. Thank you. So I'm 2022 is all about making myself happy and taking care of myself. And so. everybody out there listening, yourself too. Be yourself. I feel like that should be our motto here. Be yourself. Um, but yeah, um, we have a great month of episodes planned. We have some that I'm really excited for. Um, I'm actually really excited for the one that Crystal picked out for our Twitch stream. Um, that's to be determined just because it's it's so Crystal. It's so Crystal because I was like, <laughs> it's your birthday month. And she's so sassy and like all the entire month is her birthday. So she picked the topic. I'm excited for that. And we are just so excited to see how we grow and have more fun while we were at it. Because I feel like in the beginning of the podcast, we were very like business as usual. Like we got to have this done by this time and we need this and it's got to be perfect. And and, and that was not us at all. And it's still not us. And I'm glad that we've had that realization. And I love... Like, Crystal literally sent me, like, a five-minute-long voice message (laughs) the other day talking about a prior episode we've been working on with a family member and how much she loved it and just, like, I don't know. I feel like her and Crystal had a really good heart-to-heart moment, Mm -hmm. and I want us to continue to have that in 2022. We are just being us. We are helping families, and we're being genuine, and it doesn't have to be, like, picture-perfect, cookie-cutter episodes. No. I'm not. I mean, we say it all the time. Like, would money be nice to be made from this? A hundred percent. But that's not our goal. No. I just like, I don't know. It's fulfilling. It like, I feel like a lot of, I mean, I'm a mom. I don't want to say that because that would make me sound bad. But I feel like (laughs) I've never really had a purpose in my life. I do have two kids. That's why I wanted to like preface that. (laughs) But I feel like this really gives me a purpose in life. And I don't mean that in the she way, but I don't know. No, it kinda, I feel it like me. I feel like I know what you're talking about, but I feel like for me, it's more of like I've never really had a hobby. No, I mean, and, yeah. like I kind of had like hobbies, like things that I really like to do. <laughs> yeah, but I was, yeah, I I feel like my first true love was sports, and then you kind of leave school when you're not in that as much, and then this is like the like Crystal said, the hobby that. I just, I don't know. It makes me want to go on. I know that sounds very dramatic, but it gives me something to do. And it's something outside of being mom because I'm mom so much and it is wonderful. But I get to be Bethany. 
and that's awesome. And, and Crystal gets to be Crystal. So You're Bethany first. <laughs> yeah. So we're ourselves, and it's awesome. And we just want to continue to share the lives of the victims that you have never heard of before because a lot of the cases me and Crystal do are from our hometowns, and they're small to others because it's not being blasted on TV every 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. So we're giving some of their power back to them. When we speak someone's name into existence and you hear it and you kind of hear it on the podcast repeatedly or we share it, you're sharing a moment of their memory and it's keeping them alive. So the greatest thing that we can do is to keep the memory alive for that person. Because when you hear someone's name who has been a victim here on the podcast, it makes you step back. It makes you realize, okay, here's a moment of reflection of someone that I don't know. But here I am hearing them for the first time and we can kind of honor them for a moment. And that's yeah. really deep. Um. Okay, so we've gone like super mushy and deep on here, so we're just gonna move on to the episode. Okay, that's who are we? <laughs> okay. Um, but it's the first episode of the month, and it's the first episode of 2022, which is amazing. And if you've been around long enough, you know that the first episode is always a bigger case from around the world. Um, and today we are headed about 75 miles away from here to tell the story of what has been labeled the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. That just sounds like... I know, right? Um, I feel like there should be like a keyboard behind it. Yeah. I I personally don't know much about it. I don't know why. I'm probably sure once Crystal gets into telling me, I'll probably like be like, oh. Um, but when she told me she, she's been wanting to do this episode forever, y'all, like since we started the podcast yeah it's been a long time we finally had time for to get it in so i don't know much about it because as usual i just wanted crystal to tell me a little you know story time a little story so it'd be genuine so i'm gonna go right along with y'all hearing it we're both hearing it at the same time together so i'm gonna pass it on over to crystal okay guys i'm gonna warn you ahead of time uh, this is kind of long. It's like ten and a half pages. Kind of a little wrote a lot, but it's okay. Um, and actually, I heard about, strangely enough, I didn't know anything about this case until a coworker of mine found out I was doing a podcast. And she was from Texarkana, and she would commute from Texarkana to uh, here all the time. I don't know where I was going to say. I meant like Louisiana, <laughs> but Shreveport, like this area. Um, and she's like, hey, have you ever heard of the Texarkana Moonlight Murders? And I was like, no. And I looked it up and I was just like blown away. I was like, we have to do this case. So I kind of debated doing two episodes, but I don't really like the thought of doing two series at the same time. And it sounded and felt confusing. So I'm just going to try to just simplify and if i leave too much stuff out because i know i left a lot out i'm gonna apologize in advance if you're familiar with the case and i leave something out that you wanted to hear about i'm sorry i tried but you know it is what it is so anyway let's dive in i'm gonna set the scene for you and kind of take you back to where all this happened so texarkana is a little over an hour drive from Shreveport, like from my house. Um, the area is pretty unique because if you don't know about this area, um, it's actually two cities in two different states that share the same name. So there's Texarkana, Texas, which is in Bowie County. 
And then there's Texarkana, Arkansas, that's in Miller County. They have their own like governments, like they have their own mayor, blah, 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 all that other, you know, city government stuff. Um, but there's a road that runs right down the state line that separates the two cities. So basically, like if you just stood in the center of this road, you could have one foot in Texas and one foot in Arkansas. So pretty cool. Well, if you like follow this road, it basically will run straight into, well, the road actually goes around it, but it runs straight into this giant building, which actually hosts the post office and the courthouse. They're like in one big building and um, it like lies right in the middle of the two, two cities are right in the line on the state, like right on the state line. There's like a little plaque outside where you can stand and have one foot in each state. So it's pretty cool. Pretty like unique. The, like the four corners. Yeah, like four corners. Yeah. Yeah. I love four corners. I still, to this day, I think I've told the story on here. I went to four corners when I was a kid and they had some of like the native tribes selling um, um, jewelry and everything outside. Like they would like have like a little shopping area and I'm assuming that they're native tribes. I was like seven when I went. So if someone, if I am like saying something wrong, someone please come for me and please correct me. <laughs> I'm just repeating what I remember from my seven year old memory, but I got this really beautiful turquoise bracelet and I'm assuming that was fake turquoise. Um, but it was a turquoise beaded bracelet and it's my favorite color blue and I wore it everywhere and I remember being feeling so special because my mom bought it for me and on my like third or fourth day of school after coming back from that vacation I was nervously playing with it and I broke it and the beads went everywhere and I lost them all that sucks it more than likely was real um and it's like pretty traditional it's what a lot of Native American women wear especially if they're married. So I have made it my life goal, like on my bucket list to go and try to find a bracelet that looks just like it because I still like 20 years later, over 20 years later, still have that memory. And I still remember how devastated I felt losing that bracelet. Aww. Like, like I loved it so much. I can't even like express how much I cried for like days after I lost it, but it's a, it's a core memory. Yes, very much a core mini, core memory. <laughs> anyway, I can't even speak because I'm getting emotional about my bracelet. Anyway, oh. um, if you haven't already guessed it, though, Texarkana gets its name from its place on the border of three states. The T-E-X comes from Texas, obviously. A-R-K comes from the first three letters of Arkansas. And the A-N-A comes from the last three letters of Louisiana. Um, it's really original. I know. If you watch the news here, <laughs> if you watch the news here, they'll be like, tonight's the the, the 10 o'clock news for the Texarkana area. And I'm just like, I hate it. It bothers me <laughs> so bad. Um, but I get it. It makes sense. Anyway. There's a lot of, I mean, just in general, there's a lot of weird names in Texas and New Mexico. Yes. And Louisiana. Just all these states. I don't know. Anyway. Our story is going to take place in 1946, so we're going back there, um, and going to go back to a time when in these two cities, there was not a lot of people. So, 
there was about 13,000 people living on the Arkansas side and about 20,000 living on the Texas side. So roughly 33,000 people were living in that metro area that were affected by this crime because people, it was obviously very common for people to live in Arkansas, work in Texas, or vice versa. There's so many people in Texas now. Yes. So yes. Many. Um, so during this time period, the towns were really starting to grow kind of fast in population. And a majority of the people in both cities were really employed by the same employers. Like there was just like a couple employers that employed like most of the population. Um, the Red River Army Depot and the Lone Star Ammunition Plant were the two largest employers at the time. And basically, if you worked somewhere... In town, you worked for one of the two of them. Um, the Red River Depot was was open from when it was a, still open and functioning from when it was originally open during um, World War II. And they stored like, you know, huge vehicles and other like war components and stuff that people would need before they would get shipped out. And then the ammunition plant was literally exactly what it sounds. They created bombs, shells, and all kinds of munitions for the military. Um, so that's pretty much what everybody did. Very much that type of, I guess you could say, not what, is that kind of an industrial city? I consider it one. Yeah, you were either doing that or you were out in the war. Yeah. Either, either or. So by 1946, the people of these towns would really be thrown into a series of murders that are really and truly unsolved today. Like another very famous serial killer, this killer would attack couples on lovers' lanes. And I feel like this is like the setting for at least one episode of every crime TV show ever. Like... Or name, movie. Or movie. Yeah. But like, seriously, like, name a crime TV show where they don't have at least one episode where it's a couple getting attacked in their car parked somewhere. As they're, like, making out or getting yes. on. Yeah. Exactly. And I even have in my ridiculous notes, long notes, that even Supernatural had that episode where the man with, like, the hook attacked the couples while they were, like, oh making out. Oh, my God. Out. And that's like a, that's like a, what do you call it, a... Uh, folklore or whatever yeah hook, hook hand man the hook hand man yeah it's yeah. almost like it is it's everywhere like this is it was like these i guess this is probably i don't know but this is maybe where some of it comes from you know maybe so on the night of february the 22nd of 1946 25 year old jimmy hollis and his 19 year old girlfriend mary had just finished seeing a movie together and they decided that they wanted to go park somewhere just be alone make out have fun whatever they drove down to the end of the street that was really popular and really known for um being kind of like a lover's lane kind of type of thing. And it was a good bit away from the nearest house. So honestly, you know, they were pretty secluded. Jimmy and Mary were just enjoying each other's company in the car when all of a sudden a man made his way over to the driver's side door and took out a bright flashlight and just held it up to the window, blinding Jimmy so he couldn't see. Not sure what was happening and like feeling like maybe he was being pranked and like there was just one of his friends out there, you know, just causing trouble. He shouted at the man. He's like, hey, man, you got the wrong person. Like, we're just having fun, blah, 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 blah. And just was trying to defuse the situation, basically. Um, so the man 
really didn't like answer right away while Jimmy was like shouting all this stuff. And Jimmy could see, like really couldn't see what he was wearing right away. Um, but as his eyes adjusted, he could see that the man was wearing a white pillowcase over his face with the eyes cut out. Um, right. Um, and he shouted back at Jimmy, I don't want to kill you fellow. So do what I say. Which is super creepy in itself, too. Not so 40s, though, fellow. Right, fellow. <laughs> At this point, both Jimmy and Mary are scared out of their minds, as they should be. And they are thinking only about what they have to do to live at this point. Like, they're like they're just going to do whatever the masked man is telling them to do. And they're just going to go with it. So, the man forces them out of the car. And... Um, they just immediately followed through. They were like, you want to stop the car? We're going to get the car. You know, no, we're not going to fight back. Once they were outside the car, the masked man told Jimmy to take, to take his GD britches off. I'm not going to say GD. That's one of the few words like I will never I don't say. say yeah. But he told the man to take his GD britches off and Jimmy followed the instructions. He was like, I'm not. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to fight back. They'll do whatever you want to say, whatever you want me to do. Um, well, as soon as he did that, he followed what this man said. The man took the butt of his gun and hit Jimmy against the head. And um, Mary recalled that it hit so hard that she thought there was a gun, sh that the gun went off. Dang. When he hit his head. Jeez. Thinking that the man just wanted money, Mary like grabbed Jimmy's wallet and was trying to show them, show him that he she he had no money. Like they spent all the money at the movie theater. He had no money in his wallet. He had no money on his person. She didn't bring a purse. She has no money. Like there's no money on them. Like what can he just leave them alone? Well, this just made him angry, and he just seemed to be getting angry and anger by the second. So. The masked man had Mary stand up, looked her in the face, and told her to run as fast as she could. Little did Mary know that this is where the game actually kind of began for this, for this really sadistic man. As she ran down the street, she spotted another parked car and just ran towards it, hoping that there was someone going to be inside. Well, when she got there, there was it was completely empty. The car was dark. There was no one around. Um... As soon as she got there, this man was behind her again and grabbed her and kind of held her, held, like held her tight and asked her why she was running. So she was confused. Obviously, this man just told her to run. She did. And now you're grabbing her again and saying, why are you running? So she just said the only thing that she could say, which was, you told me to. You told me to run. Well... This basically made him mad, and he called her a liar and said that he never said that. What he never way? told her to run. So, like I said, this man's a sicko. At I this point, the masked man forces her on the ground and proceeds to sexually assault her with the barrel of his gun. Once he's finally done, he left her alone on the ground and just ran off. A little bit after he left, Mary gathered herself and ran to the nearest house to find someone who would answer their door really and truly after midnight because who's really going to answer their door after midnight? I know I wouldn't. Um, 
But when she finally found someone to help her, she called the police and recounted her story to them. Coincidentally, at the same time, Jimmy had woken up from being hit in the head and he started to wander down the streets. He was able to flag the driver down and that person was able to stop and help him and get him to the nearest hospital. It turns out that when the man hit him, he hit him so hard that he actually fractured his skull in several places. And that's the noise that she heard that sounded like a gunshot. Oh, my God. So he hit him hard. So um, Bowie County Police, so Texas Police, hoped that since the two of them had survived, that they would be able to give a pretty strong account for what happened and that this man would be caught pretty quickly. Turns out that was not the case. (laughs) Jimmy said that the man that attacked them was a white man with tannish skin. And Mary, on the other hand, said that it was a lighter-skinned African-American man. So, I mean, uh, okay, like, I'm trying to figure that out. And it's also dark. So, like, you could only see so much as well, too. Um. The only thing that they could agree on when it came to the description of him was that he was about six feet tall. Okay. Police initially actually thought that the two of them might have known who their attacker was and that they were um, hiding and keeping that information back from them. But Jimmy and Mary kept insisting that they had no idea, like absolutely no idea who it was, but police still just felt like they knew and they just weren't telling Um, so it was almost like the police had no desire to initially count who was responsible for this at all. They just were like, oh, you know who it is. Um, about a month later, the two small towns would be wrecked again with another attack. Um, this one though would end much more deadlier. March 24th, 29 year old Richard and 17, what the? yes, 17-year-old Polly were parked along another locally known lover's lane. Hell no. Before we go any further, no. <laughs> you all know that I have to say something about this age gap. Jesus. What? I don't know if this was re- normal in the 40s. Um, so, I personally so could not imagine. Was. Sadly, it was back then. Could not imagine dating someone at 29. I could not imagine dating someone who was 17. And I don't think at 17 I could imagine dating someone who was 29. Like, I get it. And I guess if her parents were okay with it and she was okay with it. then Honestly, her parents might not have even known anything about it. But, I mean, I'm all for age gap. Like, you know, age is just a number. Yeah, when you're this old and your partner is still in high school. And the uh, only thing I can think is just like back in the 40s, by the time that he was 29, he probably, you know, he probably was out of school. He had a good career. He may have been settled down. I don't know. Maybe I'm just having like this whitewashed version of middle america in my head or but it could be this today lee's ball that's grooming her yes because today if i found out that a 17 year old was dating a 29 year old i would not be saying girl what are you thinking 
I'd be like, dude, that's gross. And number one, the only reason you're dating a 29 year or a 17 year old is because you can't get a woman your own age. Yeah, that's I mean, that's a 12 year gap and she's still not even legal. Yes. But anyway, they were a thing and they were they were only dating for two weeks. So it was a new thing. It was a new thing, too. I just, I'm weirded out. I just need to stop thinking about it. I'm trying not to be judgmental, but that is really, that is really weird. And I tell myself that it's okay because, like, what if she was 27 and he was 39? Unfortunately, though, like, even back in the pioneer days and, like, as far as history can go back, unfortunately, it's very sexist but older men would marry young women because typically some wives would pass away in childbirth and they would yeah. need somebody to take care of the child and then continue to have children for them i know it sounds terrible yeah but it was very normal back then so. it's just gross it's just gross um anyway back to the story commercial breakover Late night, late that night, a driver stopped to check on a car that was parked on this lover's lane. As they approached the car, they looked in and it looked really and truly like Richard and Polly had just like fallen asleep in the car. So he kind of just thought at first, like maybe they pulled over, um, didn't have a place to stay. So they just pulled over and slept in their car. Well, they looked a little bit harder, and that's when they noticed that Richard was not moving and that his pockets were actually turned inside out. Hmm. So, in a hurry, the driver drove back to town to let the police know what they had found. Um, It wasn't until I wrote that that I realized how thankful I was for a cell phone. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because what if their life depended upon how fast that that driver could drive back to the police and how fast the police could get get back to the spot? That's pretty terrifying. Like, now we see that I can call 911 and they could get there. But they couldn't do that. He had to literally drive to somewhere where he could call the cops. Anyway, once the police arrive, that's when they find Polly laying across the back seat of Richard's car. And Richard is laying... In the in between the front seats, with his like he's on his knees, with and he's like laying ac- like across the floor, basically with his head on top of his hands, and his hands are like crossed over each other. Interesting. So very kind of posed. Um, police piece together using some of the evidence found in and around the car that Richard had actually been shot twice while the couple was in the car. Um, somehow the man was able to get them outside of the car and onto a blanket that had been laid out um, beside the car. And it was here that the man would shoot both Richard and Polly in the back of the head, pretty much like execution style. For some reason, he didn't just leave the bodies on the ground, but he decided to pick them up and place their bodies back into the car. Um, only reason I can think of is maybe, you know, it would just draw less attention. Like, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, unlike Mary, Polly was not sexually assaulted and there were no eyewitnesses to this event. Um, police just assumed that because this murder was very similar to the assault of Jimmy and Mary, that they were done by the same person. Um, and that's not a far reach, but these two cases, even though they're only a month apart, um, or a couple months apart, didn't even get connected until like 
after the third murders happened Hmm. or after this murder happened. Sorry. After this one happened, they like went back and that's when they kind of were able to piece them together. So at first they didn't even like connect them. Yeah. By now police knew that something was going on in the area. Um, but you have to remember that this is still a pretty small area. They're not going to have a huge homicide department at all. Um, and I'd never looked up the stats, but I'd be willing to bet that these murders were among the first that happened that entire year. Jeez. Um, because, I mean, it's a town of 33,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> like, and this is March. So I yeah. highly doubt they had that many. And they probably were not like, it's a serial killer. They're like, there's just like just somebody out there killing. Yeah. Yes, this person killed somebody trying to rob them. Yeah. Um. So, police in both Texas and Arkansas were on the lookout for this man or any info that could lead to his arrest. Um, Without any leads, they had to wait until he struck again, unfortunately. So, in preparation and in need of help, Texarkana Sheriff Bill Presley ended up calling in the Texas Rangers to help with the investigation. So, great move. Knew he needed help. Let me get some help. So both states and the Texas Rangers started to investigate the people around the town for any info that they may have. They asked people to try and recall anything that they saw because they had a feeling that someone may have seen something, thought it was normal, but it could have, you know, been a break in the case. A few weeks after this, though, 17-year-old Paul and 15-year-old Betty were headed home from a dance-slash-concert thing that happened at an event center in the Texas side of Texarkana. And police assumed that on the way home, the two of them decided to stop and have a little time for themselves. And it seemed that the killer, in this case, wanted to push the boundaries a little bit with this one. So, Paul was actually found shot on, shot on the side of the road, and he had four gunshots to his body. They had pierced him in the chest, his hand, his neck, and his nose. So, ouch. <laughs> Police believed that he was killed there due to blood found on a fence across the road. Um, the police knew that he wasn't alone. Um, but his car was not there either. Um, and so they decided to search the area. They ended up finding the body of Betty Joe about two miles away from Paul in the woods, kind of put behind a tree. And she was kind of posed. She was completely dressed and her right hand had been placed inside of her jacket pocket. So like, you know, like you put your hand in your pocket, like yeah. it was just put in her pocket. Um, uh, like Paul, she was shot multiple times and she was shot once in the chest and then once in the face at this point the both states and the texas rangers were searching for who was doing this and how they could stop them and it was very obvious that this person was going to kill again and that he was getting more violent they eventually did find um paul's car not very far away from them with the keys still in the ignition Hmm. Over the course of several weeks, decoy couples sat in parked cars waiting basically to be attacked. 
police hid out in trees around um, the area and around parks and where he had hit, um, watching for people to see what people were doing, to see if anyone approached any of these decoy um, cars and couples. Uh, less than a month later, though, police were called out to a farm right outside of Texarkana. Around 9 p.m. on May the 3rd, Katie and her husband Virgil were basically settling in for the night. They had just had dinner and were starting to wind down. Virgil was in the living room reading the newspaper from his chair. It was a Friday night. Like, they were just, this was a chill Friday night. And Katie was just a few rooms over. All of a sudden, Katie heard um, the sound of glass breaking and gunshots. So she ran over to the living room to see what was happening. And that's when she saw Virgil stand up from his chair and then collapse back down and slump over. She sees that he's dead and like knows that he's gone. So she rushes to um, their telephone, which is one of those wind up ones that like if you wind it up and then yeah. like, the little thing, the little thing with your finger, if you're a Gen Z or below, you probably have not understand. Yeah. Like even I don't even know what these are. I've never even seen one, but I know what they are. Oh, my grandparents had one. Yeah, I did not have one. We had a rotary phone. But we didn't have one of the ones like you like had to like rotate it with your arm and then do the finger thing. We didn't have yeah. one of those. Um, but she had to go do all that just to call the cops. Um, but she didn't make it. By the time that she got there, she was shot in the face twice before Jeez. she could. She fell to the floor and was struggling trying to get back up to call. Um, but because blood was pouring from her face so much, she couldn't see anything but blood. It just mm. completely just obscured her vision. In complete shock and pain, she could still hear the killer making his way around the house and knew that she had to get out. So she gathered all of her strength and just made a beeline for the front door of her house and ran across the street to her sister's house, who just lived right across the street. After knocking at the door for several minutes, she just assumed that they weren't there and she ran to a neighbor's house whom she just told point blank that Virgil was dead and he said that she completely passed out. So this neighbor, being a great neighbor, sprung into action and alerted another neighbor by like he like shot his gun in the air and that was apparently like a thing an alert for his other neighbor that something was wrong <laughs> okay. um and so this neighbor and um the neighbor that he alerted and the neighbor that she ran to um they the his family and this other neighbor took her to the hospital to get treated um and he alerted the police so once the police arrived to the home they did find a broken window and that virgil was dead in the chair surrounded by blood the shooter was long gone, though, and there was nothing in the house stolen, not even her purse. Nothing. Interesting. Police and Texas Ranger Manuel Gonzalez, I know I butchered that, I apologize way in advance, um, knew that they had to catch whoever was responsible. The town was going crazy, begging the police to hurry and catch whoever was responsible for killing their neighbors. Um, and really and truly, these kids. <laughs> Um, police started enacting curfews and the 
population was really just terrified of staying out after dark. And the town was going crazy. Um, and this is kind of where the, I guess you really and truly say where the documentary got its name from. So there's a lot of movies, not a lot, but there's a couple movies about it. And there's also a, a documentary, but there's also some movies. And one being, it's called The Town That, oh my gosh, I just lost it. Jesus, the town that won't go out after dark or something like that. Now I feel oh, really stupid yeah. for not knowing it. I know what you're talking yeah. about, and I think it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, basically, um, the, sound that, the town that dreaded sundown, that's what it is. The town that dreaded sundown. Sorry, I knew it was going to come to me eventually. Um People were just freaking out. Um, they were buying ammo. They were staying up all night and guarding their house with guns. People were covering their windows up. They were putting bars on the windows. Like, they were getting scared. Though there were several people interviewed, and I mean hundreds of people when I say several, there were only a few people that really stood out, I guess you could say. The first was that there was a hitchhiker that was responsible for a carjacking and robbing a man in an attempt to um, in, a, in an attempt to scare him. He told people that, or he told him that he killed uh, several people in Texarkana. Now, the police didn't think that much about like much about this claim, and to them, it really didn't make that much sense since their killer was so careful to be hidden. Like, why would he go through all this trouble to stay hidden, but then just tell this random person, hey, I killed these people, and that's why I'm going to rob you and carjack you? Doesn't really make sense. Doesn't make sense. Um, there was another one. Like, there was a taxi driver who did it. There was another one about there was a man that assaulted another woman in Oklahoma, and... It's um, just hysteria. They're so they're so they want to find somebody so bad that everybody yeah. looks guilty. Yeah, they they just assumed it was him. Um, there was another story of just a prisoner of war that had escaped and that he had stolen a car and was trying to get the ammunition and just all kinds of crazy stuff. Just crazy ones. Um, they also suspected this 21-year-old Air Force machine gunner named Ralph. And he claimed that he was in sort of some, like, a sort of fugue state. And then just woke up suddenly and his rifle was missing. And that he felt like he was the person who committed these crimes. And so he ran off to Los Angeles and once he got there, he told the police that he felt like he was the person who killed these people. Oh, my God. He um, was having a psychotic break. Yes. And basically, that's what they figured out he was having. He was just having a psychotic break. He did not kill anyone. He was not even there. Um, and just his confession to what he did just didn't match up with the crimes. Um, now... The most popular suspect of all of them is actually a man named 20, a 29-year-old man named UL. I guess I'm trying to say that right. Y-O-U-E-L-L. -L. I was just going to say Yule. Yule. But, I no. mean, I don't know. <laughs> we'll say Yule. Yule Sweeney. Swiney. 
Yule Swining. And that's a horrible name, but we're going to go with it. He was actually a lifetime thief who was never up to anything good. He was the son of a Baptist minister. Um, I was about to say, of course. And he was always getting in trouble for stealing cars, counterfeiting. Like, he's just not a good kid. Um, pretty early on, though, he was pegged as one of the major suspects in the murders of Paul and Betty Joe. One of the investigators that was looking into stolen cars in the area um, actually noticed that on the night of the murder of Richard and Polly, there was the report of a car being stolen. And then not far away from that, there was the discovery of a car that was previously reported being found. So kind of like they traded off, basically. Okay. When the investigator tracked down the stolen car, he kind of just sat back and watched to see who was going to come back to get in the car. And when he did, uh, when he, while he was watching, a woman came back to the car and he arrested her. This woman was Peggy Swiney, who was the wife of Yule. Okay. Um, she claimed that her husband was the killer and that he had killed Richard and Polly as well as Paul and Betty Joe. Unfortunately, this story would change over interviews and she eventually recanted and then just told different versions of the story. Like, it just wasn't holding up. She also refused to testify against her husband in any shape or form. I, I just, thought you couldn't. I thought, I, don't, I thought there was like a wife, husband, confidentiality I al- or always, something. I always thought that you could if you wanted to, but like you, like if you don't want to, you can mm. like say, use that as a reason. I guess. Because think about like, what if somebody was being abused and they told them in the relationship, I'm going to, I'm going to kill you one day because... I'm cheating on you, and I don't, you know, that's why I want to kill you to be rid of you. Oh, that's like, why a lot of people, when they do go to court, it's like a he said, she said thing, and yeah. the person's dead. I don't know. We should probably look it. into that. I kind of really want to know, because I always yeah. thought it was like you could you could choose to deny it, but, like, that was just like a scapegoat that you could give if you didn't want to. I just genuinely thought that if you were married, you could not testify against each other. Like, you couldn't be called in. I don't but know. I don't know. Now I, I, don't do, know. Now I do want to. Now know, I want to know. Um, anyway, um, she refused (laughs) and it's pretty crappy because despite her being able to lead police to the location of some of like the belongings that had belonged to some of the victims, that evidence that, well, that evidence was ruled circumstantial and that it couldn't be held against him. Wait, what? How is that circumstantial? It literally belongs to the people that were murdered. I don't. Yeah. Yes. I don't. It was just, it was a particular victim and I could never find out who exactly it was, but it was one of their possessions. And she said that you discarded it there and got rid of it. And they led them. She led them to it, but it, it was just, there was just so much circumstantial evidence against him that that kind of just got grouped into it and how, would, how would she know where it was though uh, that's uh, i don't know i don't that's know so weird. that doesn't make sense to me but apparently a big part of pursuing any kind of case against him would be her confession and since she recanted she was then considered an unreliable witness 
what if she's a part of it that's why she didn't want to tell yeah. all of it and then they and then because of like what we were saying they can't force her yeah to testify against her husband that's so they can like up. say hey do you want to and she could but they can't force her to testify wow um that's so wild. they tried and tried to um figure out a case between and figure out what was going on um they tried to get a confession out of him they tried to like you know get more information from her but they did find out that um on the night that paul or richard and polly were murdered or i'm so sorry not richard and polly it was paul and betty joe the night that they were that they were murdered peggy and yule were actually sleeping under a bridge in san antonio I don't know how they knew that, but they were. The police instead arrested him, Yule, as a habitual offender for all the car theft that he did, that they know he did. Um, and it was through that that he was able to be sentenced to life in prison. That's probably like the three strike rule. Yeah. You know? So in 1973, though, he was actually released from prison due to a prior conviction before this that they determined that he did not receive proper counsel for. So, like, My basically fuck. that they didn't, you know, <sighs> they no. didn't try him right. You're all you're all uh, innocent until proven guilty. So. Oh, yeah, apparently. So, today, most people think that it was most likely Yule who committed the murders, but how can someone get from San Antonio to Texarkana and back overnight? That's like it's like a six hour drop. Yeah, and Ex- yeah, and they don't have like super fast cars like we did today. Like they weren't going eighty down the interstate. Mm-mm. They were doing like forty five on back roads. Texas in general just takes forever to drive through. So exactly, exactly, it's not happening. Mm-mm. Um, so. He eventually would die in a nursing home in 1994. Um, And as far as this case is concerned today, it still remains unsolved. Um, There's no physical evidence left. um, So it is just a big mystery. Um, Two of the investigators just believed for the rest of their life that Yule was responsible and was guilty. They wrote books about him. Um, There's several books written about these um, murders from the perspective of the investigators. So definitely check those out if you want even more information or if you feel like I left something out. Um, But yeah, it's just completely unsolved and it's just a crazy turn of events and crazy bunch of murders now i will say this too to add on to it the only ones that people are like 90 percent sure are linked are the middle two attacks so the one on richard and polly and paul and betty joe um just because they're so similar um now richard and polly they you know they weren't they didn't have, like, any of the sexual abuse that happened to Mary. Like, none of that happened to her. 
she was fully clothed. It didn't look like she, as far as I could tell from reading stuff, it didn't look like she was undressed or anything like that. The only thing that they could find was um, the weapon casing of the of the bullets, and it was a thirty two shell. What if it was like his wife was in on it with him, and when she wasn't with him that night, that's why she he sexually assaulted. The girl. I don't know. That's a really great theory. But maybe she was with him that night, and he was like, "Well, I can't do anything, you know." Yeah, dirty. dirty. My wife's with me because she had. She knew where some of the items were. I just she like, had to be in on it. Yeah, I just feel like. And then, like, why were they all the way in San Antonio under a bridge? They were obviously hiding. That makes sense too. Exactly. Yeah. And then with Paul and Betty Joe, the weapon that was used on them was this was the same. It was a thirty-two. So that's why they feel like those two were definitely linked. Now, the first one with Jimmy and Mary, they were, they were never shot and no, you know, shots were going off. And so they don't know what type of gun it was that they, that he had. So they, they don't know that one. And then the last one with this guy that was shot and his wife that was on the shot, they were shot with a totally different kind of weapon. Hmm. So... Maybe he was just afraid of getting caught so he stole another weapon or had yeah. another weapon. So that's when people are like, well, was that really him? Or was that, that just somebody else doing a random attack? But it just feels very weird that from February to May, this many murders happened in this small town. And I would want to see, like, if on they, couples and if anything happened after that like after he got caught and when he was in jail for that little bit of time if like murder stopped yeah that would definitely be re- really suspicious but that also, is i mean what if peggy had her own gun yeah what if that time it was peggy's gun that is know. that I'm is just... something that i had thought about and it seemed like a lot of people questioned if the last one especially was um was part of this person's murder spree, I guess. Very well. Could it be why Peggy backed off and changed her mind about the interview? Because she was like, oh, they might figure out it's me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the story. Um, it's a really sucky ending because yeah. you don't know what happens. It's crazy it's and it's unsolved and it's probably going to be one of those forever unsolved because the person who did it is most likely if not dead will be dying soon um because yeah, i highly doubt they're still alive especially if it was if it was him he passed away back in the 90s oh yeah so yeah it's a crazy one i'm glad i did it i haven't read any books about this one i'll be honest um i just did the normal internet research for this guy i didn't really read but give her time she'll probably read it yeah i'll probably read a book i have a um book i don't know what you would call it reading goal reading list Mm -hmm. i don't know what you call it like you know how like have you ever heard of Pop Sugar? Like, they do, like, a reading list every year. Yeah. And theirs are cool, but I took, like, 16 different lists and, like, combined to make my own list. So, I'm thinking of, like, typing it all up and, like, making it fancy and then just asking people for recommendations on books to read. That's a good idea. Because I beat my reading goal last 
last year. I told myself that I wanted to read one book every month, and I ended up reading 14. I so. did not beat my goal, but it's okay. We have this year, so. And this I year, did, I'm fiddling it. I did read. I just didn't beat my goal. I wanted to read, like, three books a month, but. Yeah, definitely. That did not happen. <laughs> I do count my audiobooks, but I will say I actually physically read more of my books than I did audiobooks this year. So that's good. I got to switch things up. So that's good. Well, that is all I have for everyone. Um, Bethany, have anything else you would like to add? Um, yeah, this was wild. This was, I don't, it wasn't what I was expecting at all. But I still. I feel like Peggy, Miss Peggy. She she knows she knows something. She's all on her. Yeah, yeah. That was wild. <laughs> a lot of stuff. I don't understand how somebody can lead you to evidence from a victim and you think it's circumstantial, but it is what it is. Yep. So it is what it is. Oh well. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody has a great weekend. Happy New Year. Set your goals. Tell us what your goals are so we can help cheer you along. Um, thanks to everyone who supported us last year and who is going to continue supporting us this year. We cannot wait to get some new episodes out to you guys. And as always, thanks for hanging out and go do something good for yourself today. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>